past few weeks I've been um, pretty much saying the same thing over and over again, and it's this, that adults don't become Christians because they get all their questions answered, and adults generally don't become Christians because they get everything figured out, that adults become Christians not because they work through all their obstacles, but typically something comes along that shrinks those obstacles. Because when a person comes to Christ, it's not that all your questions get answered, it's just that some of the questions get smaller because this thing gets really personal. And my whole point these last few weeks has been to kind of create this new category for maybe for some of us, um, maybe for you, maybe for some of your uh, family members, maybe for some of your friends, maybe for some of your coworkers. Uh, maybe it's like just kind of keep this stuff in mind as you talk with them. And the new category is this, is that you don't have to have all your questions answered to embrace Jesus as your savior. And your questions are important, but and we're in no way uh, trying to discount the importance of your questions or your background or your experiences. But at the same time, there's a way to bring all those questions with you, to bring all of those emotions with you. Uh, you don't have to wait until you've worked through them all overcome all your obstacles, got answers to all your questions, you know, because I've never met a person who became a Christian as an adult or as a teenager who had that experience where it's like, yeah, I had a checklist of questions, got them all answered, now I'm in. Instead, something happens that makes this very, very personal. Something happens that shrinks all those obstacles. So before we go any further this morning, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we <coughs> thank you for the privilege to come together and to gather around your word, to gather to worship, to, to reconnect, uh, and to uh, just be in each other's presence and to be in your presence. So we welcome your Holy Spirit in this place today. Uh, we ask you to uh, just have your way in our hearts and minds. May, I, may we be focused on what you have for us today and receptive uh, to acting on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today, I'm going to wrap up this little four-part series um, talking about, and I want to talk about some questions that we should wrestle with. Because for three parts of this series now, we've been talking about just set your questions aside or put them in your pocket and bring them. So today I want to turn all that inside out and talk about questions that we should be wrestling with. Because again, if I were to sit down with you over coffee or lunch and say, you know, and, and I know this is naive and, and potentially offensive, uh, but if I were to say, hey, uh, why don't you just become a Christian? Like, what are you waiting for? Like, come on, just be one. And you're like, well, I got lots of reasons. And if you're a person who's kind of um, <coughs> wrestling with this, or you have some friends and family members, how many of you, maybe this has been your journey. At one time, you wrestled with your questions, and it kept you from a relationship with Jesus. I'm curious if that's been a story for anybody here. And, uh, and how, about you, how many of you know people who find themselves right there, that if they could just work through their questions, they're like, yeah, I'd be in, but I got questions, all right? So this is not hypothetical. But if I were to be so bold as to say, well, why don't you just become a Christian? Like, what are you waiting for? And we were to sit down and have a conversation, you'd have some questions. Or maybe the people in your life, they'd have some questions. And we should have some questions. But our questions would center on things like, well, you know, what about this? And what about that? And why would God? And why didn't God? And how could God do that? And if there's a God? And if Jesus is God? And we have lots and lots of questions. And we probably, most of them aren't even original with us. And we go round and round and round. And I, I, I probably, in that conversation, wouldn't be able to answer your questions to your satisfaction. And chances are nobody could do that. But the interesting thing is, there are probably books written about your questions. And even if you have read the books and you got the information, you still may be no closer to God. You may be no closer to uh, coming to the realization that Jesus is God's son who came into this world to be your savior. 
So here's what I, do, what I want to do as we finish up the series. <coughs> I want to give you a, a couple questions that I think we should wrestle with. And all the questions that you wrestle with right now are important, but I don't think they'll get you any closer to God. So here are the two questions. Number one, who is? And number two, what happened? Who is and what happened? If you're ever going to get to the place, or if your friends and family members and coworkers are ever going to get to the place where they're open to embracing Jesus Christ as their Savior and God as their Heavenly Father, it'll happen around these two questions. Who is and what happened? And all your other questions are important, but if, if they, they kind of put you in kind of a death loop for the rest of your life, you just keep holding on to those because some of them are, are actually unanswerable. But if you'll wrestle with these two questions and just wrestle them to the ground, I'm confident that you will move closer to knowing God. Let me explain why. What happened? The reason this is an important question is because unlike religions and other religions, and unlike other philosophies and belief systems, Christianity is not grounded in a thinking. It's not grounded in a philosophy, and it's not grounded in a worldview. The thing that is foundational, the foundational truth of Christianity, is something happened in history. There, there are events that started this whole thing rolling. The other question is, and this is so important, it's the preeminent question, the one that probably trumps all other questions, and the question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I mean, that's pretty much uh, the whole deal. And it's fun to talk about. I've got to tie my shoes. It's going to drive me crazy. It's bothering you too, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I can't do this and talk at the same time. Sorry. Um, we, um, we like to talk about things that, that just cause us to go round and round and round. Like, uh, were the days of creation 24 literal days? 24-hour days. Now, in the, how in the world did they get the dinosaurs on the ark? How did, where did God come from? Can God make two mountains with no valley? Why did God make black flies? All these fun questions that we like to focus on and uh, honestly, most of the time, simply throw us off the trail. But at the end of the day, the question we need to work through is who is Jesus? And what happened 2,000 years ago? Those are the foundational questions, and my point is really simple. <coughs> if you ever decide to consider Christianity seriously, if your unbelieving friends and your coworkers and your family, uh, if they ever decide to consider Christianity seriously, something happens in our lives, and suddenly we're thinking about God again, or maybe for the first time. Instead of getting all caught up in the mysterious things and maybe sometimes unknowable things that are fun to talk about but will lead us nowhere, my heart's desire for each of us, for you, for your friends, your family, your co-workers, is that something will bring us back to these two questions because these are the questions that make it personal. So today I want to tell you a story from the New Testament. And you may uh, have never heard this whole story. You've heard references to the story. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you've never heard the whole deal. The story is found in the book of Acts. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read a bunch of verses this morning, and it's in the Bible app. If you want to follow on there, we'll put them on the screen as well. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 7, and at the very end of the chapter <coughs> is where we're going to start and then roll right into chapter 8. In this story, we're introduced to a guy you've probably heard of before. Uh, this guy asked a question. In fact, he was constantly asking this question whenever someone would ask him the hard questions that came down to who is and what happened. So let me set up the story a little bit. This is, I think it's kind of cool, it involves a little bit of history just to give it the context. This story takes place several months after Jesus was crucified. And after Jesus was crucified, Rome and the, 
the Jewish people who were a part of the crucifixion thought game over. Like we took care of that. We killed this wannabe Messiah, done with that. Now we can go back to normal. But instead of things getting back to normal, all these Jewish people in Jerusalem kept talking about Jesus. Within a few weeks of his resurrection, there was this explosion of interest in Jesus in Jerusalem, and thousands of Jews began to believe that Jesus was, in fact, the, their Messiah. In fact, he was their risen Messiah. And the reason they began to believe it is because there were hundreds of people going around saying, we saw him. Like, the Romans killed him, the Jews buried him, and we saw him. What do you mean you saw him? Well, after he was crucified and after he was buried, we saw him, and we talked to him, and we listened to him, and they talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And suddenly there's this groundswell of interest in Jerusalem because of these eyewitnesses who said they had seen him, that he's been raised from the dead. So now there are thousands of people talking about Jesus. And you can imagine this is very unsettling to the people who had killed him. Can you imagine? Okay. Because they thought if you kill the guy, like if you kill the guy, you kill the movement, right? So now the movement is getting bigger, and this is a problem for the Jewish religious leaders, and it's a problem for Rome. So it's kind of a problem for everybody. So they began a concerted effort to shut down all these new Christians. Understand, there was no Christian church at this point, okay? These people would gather wherever they could gather. They'd gather in the temple. They'd gather in the synagogues. They'd gather in local community gathering spots, and they'd talk about Jesus. And this... Uh, this was just, and this wasn't a totally new thing. It was really an extension of their Jewish beliefs at this point. Well, one of the most prolific speakers about Jesus was a guy named Stephen. And every time the Jewish leaders would debate with Stephen in public, they would come away just um, looking ridiculous. <clears throat> and consequently, more and more people began to believe in Jesus. <clears throat> and they realized they, they couldn't out-argue Stephen, um, so they needed to shut this guy down. So they paid some people to lie about him, and they arrested him, and they charged him with a, with a crime that would be worthy of death if convicted. And what do you know? He was convicted, and then they stoned him. And, and obviously, we don't do this anymore, fortunately, uh, but the, the point of stoning <clears throat> was that an entire community would gather around and everybody would take part. You know, so think, picture, like in Ellsworth, we do things like the Ellsworth Christmas Parade, okay? And, and these days, they had stonings just to get the kind of community, you know, let's all kind of do the same, be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Sorry, it's really morbid, sorry. But this is a way of saying, it was really, you know what it was? It was a way of saying no one person put this guy to death. So they could just kind of, they, the responsibility for it could just roll off their backs because it was a community thing. The community believed he needed to die, and oh, we, we all were part of it. So enough of the community gathered around Stephen, <clears throat> and they stoned him to death, <clears throat> and he became the first Christian martyr. How many of you are with me so far? You knew, you've known all this so far. Okay. And if, I, if everything I say today you've heard before, it's, you can, I don't know, scroll Facebook. This all to set up what happens. During um, his stoning, there was a young man there who you've heard of. This guy was watching over the coats. I can picture a huge pile of coats on the ground that people had taken off so they could really get into the stoning. I mean, it's really hard to throw things with, a, with a, you know, layers of clothes on, so they just got comfortable. And at this moment in history, we're introduced to a guy who becomes a household name all over the world. Cities are named after him. Buildings are named after him. Um, maybe, like schools have been, maybe you've been named after him. But at this point in history, he was just another guy standing around. He's watching Stephen die. And he's like, rock on! Uh, you got it. You, Pauline got it. Good. And he's watching, um, 
we're like, we got, yeah. Uh, it's like, this guy deserved to die. And because we've got we to shut down this cult thing that's happening that's attached itself to Judaism. We have to protect the purity of Judaism. So way to go, guys. Way to go. You got this one right. You know who I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about Saul. Saul, who would later be better known by his Roman name, Paul. Here's just a little trivia for you. I don't know what you've been told, but I, can I just straighten this out real quick? You're going to go look it up. You can, I, here's the thing about knowing, inviting people to use their devices in their laps in church, is you can fact check me while I'm talking. I get that. Peter, uh, Paul didn't get a new name. Paul had two names. He had a Jewish name and he had a Roman name. And it was, became known by his Roman name because it was the Gentile world where his ministry was focused. So that's why we knew him. We came to know him as Paul. So Saul, who would later be better known as Paul, became Paul the Apostle. That's the big deal. The preeminent church planter who uh, wrote half the New Testament. This is his story. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. <clears throat> Meanwhile, witnesses, this is at the, the stoning of Stephen, laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Jump to the next chapter. Chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Here's what happened. When all these people saw, oh, we can kill Christians? Cool. It's open season, and all the Jews who are calling themselves followers of this Jesus who considered himself the Messiah. So this persecution breaks out, and Rome basically turns a blind eye to this, and we kind of think this is a Roman deal. It's not a Roman deal. It's a Jewish uprising. So the Jews are persecuting their own people, because now these people believe in the Messiah. So all these people, these Jewish people who believed in Jesus, they scattered, and the only Christians who stayed in Jerusalem were the 12 apostles. And yeah, they're back to 12 now because they added one. So now all these Christians are scattered out across the region. Story continues, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, later in the book of Acts, it says that Saul would have Christians... Um, arrested and tortured until they renounced their belief in Jesus. That's the kind of guy that he was. He not only wanted to put them to death, he was willing to have them tortured until they gave up. That's the kind of person we're talking about. So as he went to the high priest, at verse 2, and asked for letters, or in other words, permission, to go to the synagogues in, uh, from the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way. So anyway, what's happening here is he's getting permission from the high priest to go to the synagogues in Damascus and make sure there are no Jesus followers there. Before Christ followers were called Christians, uh, at this point they just said they belonged to the way. And your Bible probably has way uh, capitalized. Uh, it says whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul, he's... he's not content to get rid of all the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. He's like, all right, you guys got this under control. You know what? Um, now that they've scattered, uh, I'm going after the rest of them. So basically, he got permission from the high priest. You know, if I can track down these Christians, can I have a permission to arrest them? And then, you know, I'm going to do what I want after that. And the high priest says, take these letters to the synagogues. You have permission to arrest men and women, drag them back here to Jerusalem. That's what we're dealing with. So pause for a minute. Imagine we could drop into that moment in history and we're standing on the square in Jerusalem as Saul walks out of the temple courts with his permission letters, basically his orders to go around and arrest Christians. If someone were to say to us, see that guy right there with the big stack of papers? 
with the blood on his hands, what are the odds that that guy is going to become the most, most renowned proponent and advocate of the message of Jesus? We're like, well, okay, we're asking odds less than zero. Well, what are the odds that this guy is going to give his entire life to further this message that you know, he's now going to extreme men- measures to squash? What are, what are the odds? We would have to say, well, it's just not going to happen. There's no odds. It's not going to happen. There's no one in the city who is more passionately opposed to this dead carpenter Jesus. So it's, uh, no, it's not going to happen. And yet the reason we've heard of Paul is not because of his opposition to the church or his opposition to the people of the way, the followers of Jesus. It's because he did more to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus, than any other man that lived. So what in the world happened? The story continues, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? At which point, if Saul uh, hadn't been knocked to the ground and blinded, if he had come to his senses, he may have responded this way. What do you mean, persecute me? I'm not persecuting a me. I'm not persecuting a person. I'm persecuting an it. I'm persecuting an ideology. I'm persecuting a false theology. I'm persecuting a bunch of renegade Jewish people who are ruining it for the rest of us. This, This struggle in Jerusalem, this struggle within Judaism, it's not about a person. It's about an ideology. It's about a theology. It's about a movement. But what he heard was, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he he asked the most important question any man or woman can ask. It's the question that if you tune everything else out, if you tune, uh, if you just just held on to this one thing and logged it away for the future, here's the most important question, verse 5. Saul says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? The answer to that question supersedes all the other answers to all the other questions you may, uh, you may ask in your life. Who are you? Asking that question shrinks all the other questions down to a size where they become manageable and in some cases answerable. Who are you, Lord? Middle of verse 5, the response, I am Jesus <clears throat> whom you are persecuting. And stop. And Paul's like, no, 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 I don't know what's happening here, but I, I'm not persecuting Jesus. There is no Jesus. Jesus is buried somewhere. His disciples stole the body, buried it somewhere, this launched this scam. I'm not persecuting Jesus. I'm persecuting these people. I'm persecuting a movement, an ideology. This isn't personal. To which Jesus would say, yes, it is, Saul. It, this isn't between you and a religion and or a church or a group of people. This is between you and me. If you're sitting here and you're trying to decide, maybe even coming a while and having some conversations and doing your own research and you're trying to decide where you land with all this, you know that internal thing in you that goes off, uh, it, or just, it, it happens inside you whenever somebody asks you to go to church, you know, and like you're, today it was lunch that bribed you or whatever, they've already taken you to breakfast and, or maybe it's Easter and okay, I can go to Easter, it's not bad. You come to church with me, you know, or here's a book I think you'd really like to read or, or worse, here's a CD from our church and like, gotta find a CD player and there, you, you know that you're a lot smarter than they are, you got questions that they can't answer and stories they can't respond to. But isn't it true, and this may be your story, maybe it's where you're living right now, or maybe it's in your past. Maybe it's where you come from, or maybe you're like, yeah, you're like, okay, yeah. That after you've won the argument, you know, like your wife's run out of the room crying again, or whatever it might be, isn't it true that when you're alone, 
even though on the outside you're like solid as a rock and you have impenetrable walls that no preacher can ever get through, isn't it true that there is still an unresolved battle going on within you? <clears throat> here's, the idea, here's the idea I want us to take home. <clears throat> that this battle is not between you and ideas. It's not between you and the church. It's not between you and your background. It's not between you and any other person. It's not between you and your conscience. The battle is between you and the person of Jesus Christ because this is personal. And if we were to ever pause for a minute and say, you know, I got all these questions and I got objections and I got obstacles and I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a deep breath and I'm going to set those aside for now and I'm going to wrestle with this question. The same question Paul asked. Who are you, Lord? Perhaps that would be your invitation to your Heavenly Father to do inside of you what he's done inside so many of people of the people sitting around you right now. That what's simply a category, what's simply theological, what's simply ideological or maybe even philosophical, maybe by that simple expression, who are you, Lord? Maybe by that it can become personal for you. Well, the story goes on. Verse 6, chapter 9. <clears throat> now get up. And go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. So check this out. He's going down to Damascus. Every Christian in Damascus knows he's coming. Word has gotten out. There are no secrets. Saul is coming. Got his caravan. He's going to round up all the Christians, take them back to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, well, okay, change your plans. Go ahead and go on to Damascus. But I'll tell you what to do when you get there. Meanwhile, God wakes up this guy named Ananias and says, uh, oh, you're going to have, just so you know, you're going to have a company today. Oh, that's great. Who is it? I love having company. Well, you've heard of him. That's great, God. Who is it? Saul. <laughs> Saul of Tarst? That's, yep, that's Saul. You know him. Like, okay, like the Christian killer Saul. Yeah, that's the one. He's coming to your house. <laughs> so this is like a little warning. Like, run out to the driveway, take the Jesus fish off your car, burn your Christian <laughs> CDs, you know, and hide the children, you know. <laughs> Verse 13. <laughs> Lord... Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Did you know that, God? Did you, had you heard that? Let me tell you about that, God. And God's like, no, you don't say. How did I miss it? Let me write that down. I will look new plan. No, no, verse 14. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So why are you bringing him to my house? Right? Verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man's my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Which, by the way, is exactly what happened. The reason you've heard of the Apostle Paul, the reason you know his name 2,000 years later, is because this is exactly what happened, that what, exactly what Jesus would predict would happen. In fact, he could have gone on to say, you know, Ananias, I hate to break it to you, uh, but the only reason anybody's ever going to know your name is because you're a subplot in the story of Saul, the Christian killer. <laughs> Even though he's been an enemy, I'm about to bring him inside. He's going to be our greatest advocate. He's going to do things you can't even imagine. And I chose the most unlikely character from the planet for this assignment for my glory. So watch this. So Paul comes to the house and he's blind. <clears throat> I think Ananias is like, this is great. When you said Saul, the Christian slayer, I had a different picture. This dude's blind. He is dependent on someone else. I think I'm going to get my friends together. My small group's going to come over. And I think let's just like spin them around three times and uh, see how that works. And uh, this is our chance to get back at Saul, the Christian killer. He's defenseless. He doesn't even know where he is. 
So he lays hands on him, but not in the way that we would have. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. Imagine that. Saul, I mean, aren't you, you might be, might be uh, rushing into this, Saul, okay? You're going a little too fast here. Why don't you, don't you have some questions? I mean, how do you go from I want to kill them to I want to be one of them? Uh, you know, how do you, how do you do that without getting some questions answered? I mean, certainly your mind, you know, in your mind, you've justified, you know, why Jesus isn't the son of God, why Jesus isn't the promised Messiah, why Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You've got all those arguments, you know, so you must have some questions. Don't you have to work through those a bit before you jump right in? To which I think Paul would say, uh, no, because those aren't the questions anymore. Just let me tell you what happened. And let me tell you who I'm convinced Jesus is. I still don't have answers to all those other questions, but I'll tell you what, those two things made my other questions really, really small. Maybe someday I'll get answers, and maybe I won't. We've read in his writings about questions, unanswered questions that he still had that I think remained, seemed like they remained unanswered for Paul. He's like, but I am in. Because on the road to Damascus, it became extraordinarily personal. Verse 20. So as he began uh, to preach in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. And don't you know that just freaked everybody out? All right? Because like, we have no context for this. We just don't. Because when he showed up the synagogue, all the Christians are gone, and the only people that are, because they've scattered, they're afraid. The only people that are left are the Jews that are adhering to Judaism. And here comes Saul, you know, he's our hero. He ran off all these other Christians who are perverting our faith. And he says, can I have your attention, please? Jesus is the Messiah. And they're like, what happened to you? Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? They wouldn't even say the name. Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 26, and when he came to Jerusalem, okay, now he's coming to Jerusalem, he's got some questions. He believes and he got baptized, he's proclaiming the gospel, but he's got questions, so he comes to Jerusalem. And who does he want to see? Who are the only Christ followers left in Jerusalem, remember? Jesus' disciples, right? The big guys, the inner circle, the 12. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, and all the other guys, and then the new guy, Matthias, you know, and the guys that were closest to Jesus. And Saul's like, oh, by the way, I'm in. I'm one of you. I want to meet the guys who are closest to Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. And how badly do you think they wanted to meet him? Right? Since he tried to join the disciples, no, it's like, hey, guys, really, it's okay. Really, really, you can trust me. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Why? Because there's no way a man can change like this. This is the most extreme example we've ever seen. This is impossible. Verse 28. Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Here's the point. <clears throat> the questions that matter are not always the questions that we go round and round and round about. Saul had those. In fact, Saul could have stood up here and argued why Jesus isn't the Messiah. Then a few days later, he could have stood up here and saying, arguing why Jesus is the Messiah. And I think Saul would say that all of his other peripheral questions took a backseat to two things. Let me tell you what happened, and let me tell you who Jesus is. And I'll get the answers to the rest of my questions if the disciples would ever answer the door and let me in, right? 
this battle, listen, that's inside of us, the battle that's inside of you, the battle that's inside your friends, your family members, your coworkers. <clears throat> what if it's not about a philosophy? What if it's not about an ideology? What if it's not about a religion? What if it's not about a belief system? What if it's about a person? What if, as Jesus said, there is a God who invites you to call him Father? What if Jesus is the Son of God? What if his Holy Spirit is alive and active in the world? And what if he loves you? What if he loves you so much he didn't decide to leave uh, frequently asked questions in the New Testament? He didn't decide to sit down and have a series of Q&A, but he loves you so much he sent his Son to be your Savior. What if the tension inside of us is that personal? And what if we begin to pray, Lord, who are you? Because if there is a who to know, then don't you want to know him more than you want to know the answers to your questions? And don't you think your unbelieving friends and family members and co-workers would want to know him more than they want to know the answers to their questions? See, there's a potential Damascus Road experience for all of us. There is something that could quickly get your attention and it could be that complete. There's something that could happen, and you could find yourself on your knees saying, God, I don't even know if I believe or what I believe, but if you don't do something, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. That potential's there for all of us. So my point today is simply this, and it is, why wait? Why not say now, in the safety and comfort of your relatively wrinkle-free life, relatively, why don't you say, okay, Lord, who are you? Because if there's a you to know, I don't want to miss that. If there's a you to know, that's really where I want to be. That's more important to me than all this other stuff that I keep throwing out as an obstacle. <clears throat> Paul would later write these words. That one day every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He didn't say someday every question will be answered and every obstacle will be removed. No, he said you may never completely understand, but one day the whole world will be convinced. So I want to challenge you with this. <clears throat> For several weeks I've challenged you to pray this prayer. God, I'd rather know you than the answers to all my questions. And when, in praying that, would you simply add, who are you, Lord? I'd rather know the know you than the answers to all my questions. And I'd rather know the answer to that question, who are you, Lord, than all these other questions that have kind of served as an obstacle to me knowing my Heavenly Father. This is how adults and teenagers um, generally come to faith in Jesus because something happens that's so personal that all the other obstacles begin to shrink. And once you embrace Christ as your Savior, you'll get some answers. There'll be some questions that don't matter anymore. There'll be some mysteries that you carry with you to your grave. So I want to challenge you. If you've never crossed a line of faith, would you at least begin to pray, Who are you, Lord? Because I'd rather know you than know the answers to all my questions. Here's what I want to do. Uh, a few weeks back, I sat down with a friend of mine, and we had a little conversation about this. And... Uh, we, ran, we videoed it for you to see, because that's all I like to do. If you ever want to grab a coffee with me, just know there'll be a camera there. No, it's not true. <laughs> now, we sat down on purpose to have this conversation about this topic, because I knew that his story would resonate with you. So watch this. Well, let me ask you a little bit about kind of your personal journey then. Um, 
I know a lot of times the story of our heart begins, for some of us, depending on how we're wired, mm -hmm. begins in our head, right? right? Yeah. Um, and it seems like that was true with you. I mean, you and I had enough conversations that I, I know what I'm asking you right here. Right. But before you started coming to church, and you kind of made the decision to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, even before that, what were some of the assumptions that you had about Christians mm -hmm. in particular? So I, uh, you know, my... My background, very logical person, mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, and so some of my, um, you know, now I know incorrect beliefs, but beliefs mm -hmm. at the time were, were that Christians, you know, maybe didn't think they were led by their emotions, mm -hmm. weren't as logical maybe as as mm -hmm. other people, and mm -hmm. and um, so. Um, I know for you, a lot of your journey has been, like you say, it's 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 a wiring thing. It's a logical first, or like to kind of satisfy that intellectual curiosity first, right. then it finds its way into your heart. So where in your journey did you start asking yourself or asking uh, others, like, honest questions about God? Uh, really, it started probably, well, when we were coming back, that right? back yeah. to church, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was um, uh, 2010, 2011, you know, when we started <laughs> attending here, and, and um, you know, Really, the the uh, Tuesday nights, um, mm -hmm. Craig's small groups, you know, um, and and those discussions mm -hmm. there. Um, yeah, you did the starting, starting point, point yeah. right? Yeah. Starting with starting point, you know, yeah. that was a that was a big one for me because a starting point was really the the first time that it that it kind of clicked in my head or got that you know it's it's about Jesus, mm. and so then I was like, well. Let me figure this out. Yeah. You know, let me let me look more into Jesus and yes. and and figure out if if he is who he says he was and yeah. and, and go on the the facts you know follow the facts that way and n not worry about so much the other stuff mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, because it allowed you to um, just I guess kind of for the time being to set those questions aside and ask some different questions. And that's not to say that those questions aren't important right but they aren't necessarily critical to a relationship with Jesus and that seems like what you came to understand right. through that right and I have a better you know better understanding of those now but that's, I still have lots of questions sure. on on you know those those original hangers sure. but hmm. with with Jesus even with with Jesus it was a, a, a logical a fact-based thing you know <laughs> yeah. it wasn't yeah it wasn't necessarily what he did you know because mm -hmm. even those things I'm like mm -hmm. yes my, my right. logic says wow right. that's that's yes. incredible, you know. Uh -huh. You know, I can't, I can't just believe that because it says that, you know. So it came down to, to, you know, um, the, the few things that he did that that many people, you know, witnessed. Mm -hmm. um, him mm -hmm. being, you know, after first the big thing for me is is um, the empty grave, mm -hmm. and at a time that everybody, whether you were a Christian or non-Christian, or everybody in the the Roman world right. was looking for him, right. and to right. me, if that, you know, if that didn't happen, he would have been found at the time. You know, yes. like it, that, if that, it didn't happen, it's a scam of all scams, right? 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 right. Yeah. And you, you yeah. know, that that the, the uh, conspiracy of right. all conspiracies, and yes. you know, that just that is more unbelievable to me than <laughs> believing in in Christ. Yeah. And you know, him taking Paul and and somebody who was the biggest. Uh, 
Christian Slayer, you know, right. at the time, and right. turning him to the the, the biggest advocate and right. the greatest, you right. know, um, uh, advocate for Christ. Yeah. That those things and those are you know facts that that whether you're a Christian or not, mm -hmm. you know, they those are facts. Right. And um, you know, and you know, the the hundreds of people that saw him after his death, and and um, you know that again. To have a, a conspiracy that big for that long just right. isn't believable for right. me that he isn't who he the says. The preponderance he is. of evidence is, compels us to believe it, right? It's right. like, what do you do with all of it? Right, exactly. So that's um, that's what it came down to. Was, that's really was, interesting. Was, yes. And so, so even now, with when I have, um, you know, say, issues or, or conflict with some of the things I read in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, right? That's, yes, exactly. That's tough. Yes, I, I go back to that. You know, was yes. was Christ who He said He was? Okay, yes. well, I can, yes. I can put that aside for now, and mm -hmm. and maybe I'll maybe I'll have an answer for that. Maybe I won't. You know? Well, I think it also. I mean, really, when you uh, when you kind of back up and take a big pic the big picture look at it, I think it's a tool of the deceiver. Mm -hmm to somehow subtly here and there plant those ideas that if you can't get over this, right. then don't even bother looking at Jesus. Because mm -hmm. if he can keep us away, distracted by this mm -hmm. and not looking at Jesus, he's got us where he wants us, right? right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that doubt. I mean, exactly. That doubt in your mind. Yes. And, yeah. um, so how would you say in the last 10, five, three years, whatever, mm -hmm. How has your view of a relationship with Jesus changed the most? So I think the where it's changed the most is, is and where it really started changing was seeing so first that 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 belief in, in Christ was who he says he was, then um, starting to pursue more, you mm -hmm. know. Um, mm. from everything, you know, it started and it didn't start with reading my Bible. I'm thinking yes. I'm more into reading Bible now uh -huh. than I was in the last, you know, 10 years ago I had no real relationship with it. Right. Five years ago it was it was starting, you know, that was really kind of the, the beginning of where it it, it, it grew. <laughs> um, and but a lot of it was listening to people too, um, whether that be you guys, you mm -hmm. know, here, the you and mm -hmm. Pastor Bob or um, uh, Andy Stanley's been a big, big influence mm -hmm. on me, mm -hmm. and and um, and just kind of reading, um, you know, starting to read the Bible more too, yes. you know, and getting that. That's yes. kind of grown more in the past few years, gotcha. and and also in the small group setting. That's mm -hmm. where those discussions with other believers and and people that are questioning and right. seeking. Right. Um, you know, the you come you can come together with. Um, other people and you discover that there are other people who may be on a similar right. journey have had the same questions maybe they had those questions and got to a place that were no longer obstacles mm -hmm. you know yeah. or maybe that you're there's someone right there with you who's kind of right there at the same place or maybe there's somebody that is where you once were right. yeah. you know and to realize this is I'm not that like I'm not that unusual in this pursuit, mm -hmm. right? That right. To, to have questions is not doesn't make me somehow disqualified from a relationship with Christ, right? Right? right. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and and yeah, having all in all those you know uh, levels or where you are in your walk um, is important. You know, it has Absolutely. been important important to me and, and in my growth and in helping helping others grow and learning from those that yeah you know, maybe. 
So you got all your questions answered, so now you can help people <laughs> yeah, right. grow. Is that what you're right, saying? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, they're all answered. I got them all. What have you done with your unanswered questions? They're still there. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I, I think I, when it's something that's really, I don't want to say bothering me, but, mm -hmm. I'm, but I'm thinking about, I, I, I go back to, to the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. to, to Christ. And, mm -hmm. and what he has to say about it, I'll look it up or try to, to figure that out. And I may get a little bit you know, more satisfaction in, in my answers, but I, I may not. And that's, mm -hmm. that's okay, because I have learned that those, I'm closer on a lot of those things. I know mm -hmm. more on a lot of the mm -hmm. questions I had before. Right. I understand mm -hmm. more. I don't mm -hmm. understand it all, yeah. you know, but, yeah. and I just have faith that I, I'll either know more or I won't, you mm -hmm. know, whatever he, he wants to <laughs> reveal to me. And Isn't it interesting how it becomes less of a burden, like something you're carrying in your back and more like something you just, that you're carrying along in your pocket. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, it's here and sometimes we'll take it out and look at it and maybe we'll have an interesting conversation with somebody right. who maybe knows more about it than I do. Right. You know, and, and Christ, you know, he, it goes back to him and he didn't say, you yeah. know, you must believe that yes. Noah put two right. of every animal on. You must believe in, right. in creation in this way. You know, he, that's not what he said. No. You know, he said no. you must believe in me. That's it. You know, and yes. What would you say to somebody who is watching and kind of where you once were, were letting some, a handful of questions, whether it's a, you know, a story in the Bible um, or whatever the question might be, but they're letting that keep them from taking the next step toward a relationship with Jesus. What would you say to that person? Well, I'd, I'd say a, a couple of things. One, as I've said, you know, start with, with Jesus and mm -hmm. come, come, come to terms with that, you know, get, mm -hmm. get that down first and foremost. And what your belief is in Jesus, was he a, was he a great man, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or was he the son of God like yeah. you proclaimed and, and really come to, Come to grips and and decision in your mind there mm -hmm. uh, and in your heart, and then you know for me because the Old Testament seems to be uh, one of the ones where <laughs> a lot the of the questions yes, are exactly. you know and and so recently uh, you know I'm, I'm being more educated on who who it was written to yes. when it was written you know whether uh, you know some of it is allegory you know some of it right. you know is it are you supposed to take it literal literal or is it you know um a story for for understanding type yes. you know and and so you're having uh, a good sense of the context the context is right yeah. yeah so well great i appreciate you having this conversation with me and it's been a it's been just really fulfilling to be a part of this journey with you and your family and um yeah, we've been at this for a few years, but we're kind of just getting started, so yeah. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, so, well, thank you. Thank you, too, it. and uh, it's been my pleasure to sit down. Thanks, Scott. Thank
the sun.